It's another edition of the New York Sports Wrap here on this Sunday, Memorial Day Eve, May the 27th. Mike Silva here in for the on assignment, Rich Catino. So you'll, you'll have me for the next 90 minutes. Lots to talk about. We have the Mets, a horrible weekend series in Milwaukee. Yankees against uh, Shohei Otani and the Anaheim Angels and a big series coming up against the Houston Astros. We'll look back on uh, 25 years ago, a pretty famous moment in Knicks history with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. He'll join us later. Zach Braziller of the New York Post will also join us. He was out at Yankee Stadium. He'll join us later. And uh, in just a bit, we'll have Rich Catino, who's down in Atlanta, getting ready for a big Memorial Day doubleheader, weather pending, and a big series in Atlanta for the New York Mets. So we have a lot to get to here Want to welcome everybody in. I got our buddy producer Steven, who's got a Vegas Golden Knights jersey. Talk about the ultimate front runner here. Uh, you it's know, flurry, man. Listen, were you going to? Did you buy that at the beginning of the season? Uh, halfway through the season, halfway something like the, that. Did you put a bet I, down on the on the Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup because you would come up? Who with some in pretty, their right mind would? Uh, well, you know what? You go to <laughs> Vegas, you throw something down. What was it? A hundred to one or something like that? I'm trying to think. something like that. Some I mean, imagine number. you just put a hundred dollars down. That's a nice little piece of change that you yep. could be walking away with here. So, listen. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. Barbecues and and we'll start off with the Mets. And an awful, awful series here in Milwaukee. And I'm going to tell you a couple things. When, when I talk about the Mets, I'm going to stay the course with, hey, guys, I don't really want you to jump off the roof here yet. And with the Yankees, although things are going well, I'm going to give you where I see some signs and where their focus could be. Because both these teams, as we head into Memorial Day, the unofficial start of summer, the first real checkpoint of the baseball season have, you know, even the Mets have some good things that you can look at. As they go forward, Yankees have a little bit more, but there's a, a, one storm cloud I would put out there for the Yankees. So let's start with the Mets. Awful weekend. They very easily could have taken three or four from Milwaukee, who right now is the best team in the National League. A little bit of a bullpen meltdown today, which, to be fair, they got really dinked in the seventh inning. You know, infield hit, Guillerme almost made a great play, a walk on a strike that was a borderline pitch that could have or should have probably went. Gazelman's way, a dink single off of Blevins, a dink triple the other way off of Paul Seawald, and away you go. Mets lose 8-7. They lose a heartbreaker here. And they're at a point right now, and I've said this since the start of the season, you got about 50 games or so to mess around in baseball today. And, yeah, maybe that's, you know, you could go a little bit deeper with a second wild card. But the truth is, we're almost at June 1. The Mets need to start to kick this thing in gear because it's about to get pretty difficult over the next few weeks. You have a Yankees series coming up. You've got a road trip to Arizona and Colorado. You have the Cubs. You have this series in Atlanta this week. You've got a number. You know, Yeah, you got a little break there with the Orioles in between, but you've got a number of difficult series ahead, and this thing could spiral out of control pretty quickly. The real key is... Is the tw- are the 2018 Mets any different than the 2017 Mets where things spiraled and these guys just packed it in? And that's where I'm looking to see if Mickey Callaway, and I've said this, three most important things that a manager can do. Manage the media, manage the clubhouse, also manage up in that situation to their management team, the GM and what have you. And manage a bullpen. And right now, he's got to manage that clubhouse. He's got to make sure these guys don't start to hang their head, don't start to feel like, okay, 
you know, this thing is going to slide out of control and, you know, the heck with it. Because they very easily could look snake-bitten. But this happens. Teams go into, they have bad months. That's, it's now been about 30 days, maybe more, where they've played bad baseball. They need to now take a step back, and they need to say, okay, let's, let's move forward, and let's see how they respond in Atlanta. Now, Wilmer Flores headed back to New York, so maybe a back injury. A.J. Ramos with a shoulder issue. You, 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 it looks like you'll get Frazier back. He's heading on a rehab assignment in Cespedes, and they really need those guys back because you saw that without those guys in the lineup, I know they started to score some runs the last couple of days, but you've had a lot of contributions from the secondary guys in the lineup. The Nimmos, the Cabreras, you know, Conforto, not a secondary guy, but starting to get going. Mezzarocco's helped. When you start to put your hub, your Cespedes, your Frazier, and you start to put those guys and shoot them in their right spots, all of a sudden things change a lot. And all of a sudden it's a deeper lineup, and all of a sudden you have something there. If the Mets could start scoring some runs, I think the starting pitching, I know you saw a lot of ugliness out of Vargas, and that's a whole separate issue we'll get into with Rich. But Wheeler today, he gave you pretty much what a fifth starter is going to give you. Six innings, four runs. He seems to be plagued by one bad inning. You're going to get great starts from DeGrom and Syndergaard for the most part. And Mats is starting to come around. Kevin Kerner wrote an interesting article today about the mental aspect and how Dave Island is helping him with them. So things are not all that bad. The bullpen I still think is strong. You're going to get Swarzak back. Uh, offensively, they should be more complete in the next 7 to 10 days, but they have to start now. They have to get going now. They're in a muck. They're in a muck with everybody else. They're three games behind in the division. They're three games behind in the wild card. You don't want to start falling out of the muck. When you start to fall back and out of the muck, now you got to fight just to be in this mix with all these teams. If you stick around and you stay in the mix with these teams and then you start to elevate your game as you get deeper and deeper in the season, similar to what they did in 2015, you'll be in there towards the end. And all the Mets have to do is get into the tournament. Because I'm telling you, they get into the tournament, they're going to they're gonna be a tough out with that starting pitching and they have some good guys coming out of that bullpen. They're going to be a tough out. Also, the next three weeks will determine whether or not if this team does fall apart, which I still would be surprised if they fell apart, now you have to talk about who you're going to sell off and what is the sell-off philosophy. It's a little soon to say that. Because to me, a sell-off philosophy is not rip this thing to the studs. It's okay, do what you did last year. Sell off, get some assets, and prepare to build again to compete next year. A little soon to talk about that, but who knows? Maybe in the next three, four weeks, that is a conversation. Because you're about eight, nine weeks away from the trade deadline. It's amazing how quick the baseball season goes. Now, across town, you had the big series. Mike Trout had an historic night on Saturday night at Yankee Stadium. And Otani didn't really make a mark over the last three days in New York. But what you saw this week a little bit is the soft underbelly of the New York Yankees. Look, the Yankees, and I said this, are going to make the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. They're either going to be in a five-game divisional series with somebody or they're going to be in a wild-card play-in game. They're at a level where they're too far ahead of everybody else. That's an enviable position to be in because now they can use the regular season as almost a warm-up for what ultimately is going to be how they're judged, which is on the tournament, the tournament that the Mets are going to have to fight and claw and play to get into. The Yankees are going to be in that tournament. They almost have that. You know, if you talk about the field of 64 in the NCAA tournament, the Yankees are going to be one of those teams that are just going to already have a, a, an automatic bid, let's say. And they earned that by playing well and by having this hot streak. But what you saw with this starting pitching, this starting pitching, which I've been concerned about for a while, 
And let's face it, a bullpen with Tommy Canely back. I know Robertson struggled. Batonza seems to be coming around, but he doesn't seem to elicit a lot of confidence out there. That is not as dominant as it was last October. So when you look at it, the Yankees could score three trillion runs. The Yankees could have all these parties against the Texas Rangers and the Oakland A's and the Baltimore Orioles and whoever they want scoring a trillion runs. But when they get into that tournament, when they start playing the Houston Astros, when they start playing the Red Sox, and I think the Red Sox are a better matchup for them, when they get a play-in game, maybe against Seattle, maybe against Anaheim. I mean, think about that. How much fun would it be, maybe a Severino or you know Tanaka versus Otani, it would be probably Severino if they had a play-in game, against Otani at Yankee Stadium in a playoff game. And how much fun would it be for the narrative for Otani to beat the Yankees after he turned them down this offseason? I know that we're getting really ahead of ourselves there. But it's this might not just be about the Yankees going out and getting a arm. The Yankees in a short series, I mean, they're going to face the Astros in a short series. And they're going to face Verlander and Cole and Charlie Morton. I haven't even got to Lance McCullers. One of those starters is going to get thrown into the bullpen because I don't think the Astros trust, trust Ken Giles. I don't know how much they trust. Their bullpen's been pretty good. Do they trust Davinsky? You know, who do they trust out of the bullpen? Colin McHugh? So, you know, to me, right now, the Yankees are preparing for the tournament, but they also have to start to look at that starting rotation because CeCe Sabath has been fooling you. He's been very fortunate to be where he's at. He's okay during the regular season. He could give you the five innings against a 500 team. He's going to have his moments. But do you trust him in a big spot? I know Tanaka pitched really well today, and he pitched really well in the postseason in the ALCS specifically last year, but he's been a below-league average pitcher now for two years, and he's got an arm issue where you know he does have eventually the need for Tommy John surgery. He's got that partially torn tendon. So Tanaka's no shoe in here. Now Severino's been all-world, and he seems to be coming in— you know, I talked about this last week, how even Pedro Martinez commented about it on Twitter. He seems to be falling into the elite pitchers right up there with the Bumgarners and the DeGroms and the Kershaws. And he's probably better than Syndergaard right now. I'd probably take Severino. I would take DeGrom over Severino, and it's not a, a, it's a toss-up there. But I probably would take Severino over DeGrom right now. So he's, he's a guy that you give the ball to, and you know right now you're probably going to get a good outing in the postseason. He, he can match zeros with one of those elite pitchers. But who else can? Because that's what's going to happen. You know, the, the, the Yankees aren't going to have a, a party here against these teams. You don't know how Glyber Torres is going to hit in the postseason. Aaron Judge didn't have a great postseason. And by the way, Giancarlo Stanton, who's never been in the postseason, he, he's, he's pretty much now again feeling the wrath of the Yankees fans. So, again, they are essentially... A shoe in for 95 to 100 wins. They're going to be in the playoffs. There's really nothing to be concerned about. This is a warm-up. And I think the Yankee fans are going to f- get bored with this season pretty quick. Unless there's some kind of historic run that some of these guys are going to go on. You know, challenging a record or something like that. Which I don't see. I think the Yankees will level out. They're not going to win 115, 120 games. So you're really not playing for anything other than warm-up. And this is the first warm-up is playing Houston. And the last time they took three out of four, it was more of the bullpen and the Yankees beating the bullpen. But now let's see against the elite pitchers of the Houston Astros. 
And Severino, I believe, is pitching one of these games. Let me check right now. I think Severino's pitching the third game of the series. So if I go to Wednesday, I believe it's Severino versus uh, Wednesday. It's Severino versus Keuchel. And Keuchel, actually, if you think about it, if you put Cole, probably is the fourth starter. I mean, it's amazing. The Astros have built out a nice rotation. So to me, that's... That's where this is at, and that's my concern about the New York Yankees. So here on Memorial Day, I'm here to tell you Mets fans, yeah, the Mets are in the muck, and they have a very critical stretch coming out because you don't want to fall or slide below the the mess of all these teams because now you have to win and really battle into the mess. And for the Yankees right now, you're going to have to probably start looking out for a starting pitcher because I don't think you're going to get the kind of starter you need to compete at the elite level if you're going to really win a championship, get to the World Series and win a championship, which at this point, that's what this is about. That's what this rebuild was about. The quickest reboot to try to win a title maybe we've seen in a long time. And that's where it is with the Yankees. So we'll see what, you know, our guys that are coming on today have to say. We have Rich Catino in just a couple of minutes. He'll talk about the Mets. Mike Vaccaro at 9 o'clock. We'll talk about baseball with him, but we're going to look back at the Knicks, 1993 Knicks, he had a nice piece in the New York Post earlier this weekend about the dunk, the famous poster that everybody probably sees on Steiner Sports, or I have one hanging up in my office at home, and I've had it, the same poster, for 25 years. It's actually, the I bought that originally when it came out, like a month after, and it's been hanging up in my various places of residence ever since. And uh, and then later on, Zach Brazilier of the New York Post was at Yankee Stadium. We'll hear what he has to say about Otani and the Yankees and his thoughts about my concerns with the Yankee pitching. So let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Catino, ESPN, and uh, the host of the New York Sports Wrap, who's on assignment down in Atlanta, will join us as we look back at the lost weekend in Milwaukee with the Mets. We'll be back with Rich Catino right after this. Take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go! Oh, come on. (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signals to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. We're back. Mike Silva here in for the on assignment, Rich Catino. If you could uh, go on Twitter, if you want to interact with me, at Mike Silva Media is the handle. And uh, WLAE 540 AM. What's the the handle for WLAE there, uh, Producer Steven? Do you you even know that? Is it at 
540 AMW LIE, or is there like a little underscore on there? No underscore. There you go. All right. At Catino 9 is joining us. Rich Catino. You've heard him on ESPN. He is the host of the New York Sports Wrap. He's on assignment down in Atlanta, and he's here to talk about the Mets and their lost weekend in Milwaukee. Rich, how you doing, my friend? Hey. Good, Mike. How are you tonight? I-, I basically opened up and did the checkpoint Memorial Day, the unofficial start of summer and the unofficial first checkpoint of the baseball season. Talked about the Mets and the Yankees. And again, I'm not ready to lose optimism. Obviously, this was a tough series. The Mets should have won three of four. You can make that argument. A lot of the warts, a lot of the things that have gone wrong over the last 30 days or so came into play. They were a little unlucky as well, but look, luck is the product of design. Uh, here's how I would summarize it. Important critical stretch, because right now they're in the muck with all these teams, so they're not really in it in the sense where they're not leading the pack, but they're only a couple of games out of a wild card of the division, but so are a bunch of other teams. It looks like mo- most of the National League outside of Cincinnati and um, and and San Diego and, and teams like that are are in it. Um, but they got to start playing better. They're getting Cespedes back. They're getting Frazier back. You hope they get Swarzak back. So there's some optimism, but they got to really start kicking it into gear. It, you can't continue to have these slides of three, four, five out of six losses. It's it's becoming a bit of a problem. It really is. And I think I think when you look at what the Mets have ahead of them, it it is a challenge. But, you know, sports is about a challenge. And the challenge is they have four games with the Braves, and, you know, really that's the only team in the division that the Mets have not done well against this year. They're well over 500 against the Marlins at 4-2, and two, the Nationals 4-2, and two, and even the Phillies, uh, they're 3-1 and one with the Phillies this year so far. But the, the Braves are 5-1 and one against the Mets, and the Mets have a chance to get some, some of that back in this four-game series. They're playing four games here, doubleheader tomorrow, um, and then a couple of night games. They will have Syndergaard and DeGrom in the series. So it's a series that if the Mets are serious about things, with your two aces going in a four-game series, you really need to take three out of four games. And I think if the Mets can do that, I think they might, you know, get some their head above water and get the good feeling going in to the homestand they're about to embark upon where they play four with the Cubs, two with the Orioles, and three with the Yankees. Rich Catino with us. He's down in Atlanta on assignment. Uh, obviously, you know him from the New York Sports Wrap, this show that he's the host, and ESPN. Rich, um, the th- the difference between this team or the hope is that this team won't go down the rabbit hole that 2017 became. Now, I understand there was a lot more injuries. They didn't have Syndergaard. Cespedes was out a longer time. The hope is that not as long as, as last year he'll be out this year. But when familiar they, as well, familiar as well. But so it's not a totally correct comparison. But at some point, when things went bad last year, it just spiraled, and there was this cloud of negativity. And the last couple of games this week, with what happened against the Marlins and the blown save, the ugly loss on Saturday where they gave up a football score, seventeen to six. Then today, where they got dinked to death and were a little unlucky. Those could start to spiral. I know baseball is only as good as your next pitcher, but. You know, you've seen it where a club just starts to go down that hole and anything goes bad. It's almost like the ball finds the wrong person. I'm looking to it, see it how is. this team how this team responds because I'm, I'm optimistic that they're going to respond differently. Well, they responded well Thursday night, you know, off a terrible loss to the Marlins. They, they kind of shut out from Steve Matt. So, and when I saw that, I thought, okay, Syndergaard's pitching the next night. He, he should 
at least split here, maybe take three out of four. And I think they could have done that with um, some different things going on. And like you said, some luck. But I don't view this as 2017 because I view it more as 2015, to be honest with you. I don't view it as 2017 because, as you said, the core players, aside from Cespedes, have been there. Now, Jay Bruce has to be better. Todd Frazier is he hurt? But Rich, is he hurt? Is this does he have plantar fasciitis, and is that affecting him? Because I think it might be. Plantar fasciitis is not going to go away during this season. He either has to have rest or surgery. That could be it. Maybe he's hurt. He could be, and, and I think that fly ball today proved to me that something was going on with his foot there because you know he gets there, and Florida gets there, and it drops in. I do think Zach Wheeler has has looked better in his last three or four starts. I think he deserved a little better luck today. He looked like a fifth had. starter today, Rich. I mean, if your fifth starter gives you six innings, four runs, that's not a bad outing. I know that they view him as better than that, but Zach Wheeler's never been better. If he gives you that, he's a fifth starter. I'm okay with that. Uh, I prefer him to be better, but that doesn't mean it's unacceptable for him to stay in the rotation. Yeah, and now the Vargas thing, now with the two days off the Mets are going to have when they get to next week, I'm almost thinking that, you know, what the Mets are going to do is, you know, obviously Syndergaard's going to pitch here on Wednesday night, and then Vargas might miss a turn because the Mets have two off days going into that Yankees series. And I think the Mets would probably, if they had their druthers, the three pitchers they'd want to go in the Yankees series would be Matt Syndergaard and DeGrom, and they could do that if they fool around with the rotation a little bit with the off days. Um I was a little disappointed with Vargas yesterday because I thought he pitched better against the Marlins. I thought he had better command. His fastball command was awful yesterday. And that's a game where you get out to a 3 nothing lead, and then it's 3-3, and then you give him another lead at 5-3, and somehow the game gets tied again. So I don't know. Like, uh, you know, Vargas, you know, you paid him all this money, so – you're going to have to leave in the rotation, even for a couple of starts, even if you skip them once with the two off days. But I just think, you know, the Vargas thing has to get better. The Jay Bruce thing has to get better. Uh, Todd Frazier coming back. Cespedes will come back. That'll be helpful. I think Mesoraco's been great. I mean, he's shown that he can hit the long ball, and not just today. I think he's got five homers since he's been on the Mets, so that's a tremendous offensive surge for the Mets from the catching position, and you won't have to play him like every single day when now the Plowicki's back, because Plowicki is this, at least a solid backup catcher. But when I look at the bullpen, I say to myself, well, Swarzak was supposed to be such a big part of this bullpen. He hasn't been there yet. They haven't had trouble with it because Lugo and Gazelman have been so good, but the other part of that is without Swarzak, in the bullpen, Mike, you don't have the ability to say, okay, maybe I'll put one of those guys on the rotation if Vargas isn't doing well, put Vargas in the bullpen. You can't do that until Swarzak comes back. Right. I mean, here's the other thing, Rich, and we have Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, with us right now. Uh, I think Jose Bautista, I know that everyone's laughing about it. They go, with all these old players. He's looked pretty good at a big hit on Friday night. That would have been even a bigger hit if they had won that game. Uh, he didn't really have a spring training. I don't think fans realize how important that is to a veteran player. I know he went down to AAA. A buddy of mine who who, who works down there saw him play and said, 
eh, not sure if he has much left. But again, guy had a whole disrupted offseason. With Flores potentially being out a little bit, uh, we know that Cespedes is going to need some rest. This could become a big signing, especially with Fra- even Frazier. Frazier with a hamstring might need some rest. This could become a big signing, and all you have to do is get him to hit lefties, play three, four times a week. I'm not asking him to hit 50 home runs. This might turn out to be a better signing and, and not be a joke by the time the season's over. And I really thought about that today when Flores went down. How ironic it would be the Mets here tomorrow play the Braves and the Braves didn't think he could play third base. How ironic would be right. tomorrow. He's going to be a better third baseman than Flores. Can't be any worse than Flores at third base defensively anyway. Um, but I think that he is going to be important now because I think Jay Bruce may need some time for the plan of Fasciitis to not play every single day either. Nimmo's been really good. I mean, Nimmo has done everything that we would want Tremendous. and more. Um, and, and then you look at the outfield and you say, Conforto's starting to hit. It's not just the home runs, but I can see his swings are better. They're really following through on the ball. He's got good pitch selection. And really, the last bat, at bat of the game today with Conforto, he, he was stuck at 0-2. That should have been 2-0. Right. And, you know, I'm wondering too, Mike, I wanted to run this past you because you're, you're a really smart guy when it comes to Mets, as smart as anyone I know. Um, did Frazier's comments about the home plate umpire, umpires, has that had a debilitating effect on the Mets? Because the Mets seem to get so many of those calls that are in the gray, and they never get them. And I have a feeling that what Frazier said might have catapulted that around the league with the home plate umpires. What are your thoughts Very, on that? Listen, umpires have long memories, and they've known to hold grudges, so I wouldn't be... Uh... I wouldn't be surprised at all about that. Real quick, Rich, we got 60 seconds. Jerry Blevins, what are your thoughts? What's wrong with him? I stuff he's throwing the curveball. I think he's thinking too much out there. You know, he's not a guy that's going to come and get a left-hander out with fastballs when he tops out at 88-89. What made him great was when he did that 69-mile-an-hour curveball over and then followed with a fastball. He's throwing far too many fastballs. I don't know if Dave Island has you know, gotten him off the curveball and said throw a fastball and change up. But the curveball was his best pitch. It was a pitch that left-handers had a hard time hitting. And I don't know why he's not throwing it anymore. And I think that that's as big a part of the problem as anything right now. He's not throwing his best pitch. It would be like Tom Seaver not throwing his fastball, Bruce Suter not throwing his splitter. You know, it will be like, you know, uh, you know, Panaka not throwing his splitter. He's got to throw that curveball. And if he hangs it, he hangs it. But go down with your best pitch. Now he's second or third best pitch. And I, and I hold Dave Island responsible for that here because i got to be honest with you. Dan Worthen was here. He'd be, he'd, be, he'd be begging him to throw the curveball and making him throw the curveball. And I know Dave Island has this reputation of being this tough guy, but this is where he really needs to be tough. He needs to be tough and tell Blevins, this is what I want you to throw, and this is how I want you to throw it. We know he's been very tough with Ramos, and that hasn't worked, but that doesn't mean it won't work with Blevins. I need to see more of Dave Island not taking what he believes about pitching and making a pitcher do it, rather taking what the pitcher knows and working around that to best suit him for success. I think he's, I think he's dropped the ball island with Jerry Blevins. I really do. All right, Rich. Be well done, Atlanta. I'm sure you'll be back next week, and uh, we'll talk soon. All righty? You got it, buddy. Take care. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN. Uh, obviously not here today. He's uh, on assignment down in Atlanta. I'm your host, Mike Silva here. That's the New York Sports Wrap. We'll be back with more right after this.
New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 540 AM from 7 to 8.30 Sunday nights. Visit their website, www.sportstalknylive.com, for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York, Sunday nights from 7 to 8.30 on WLIE 540 AM. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's perfect. Allison, wait. Are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. We're back. Mike Silva here, New York Sports Wrap on this Memorial Day Eve. And uh, hope everybody's having a great long weekend. It's been uh, an interesting weekend if you're a Mets fan. Uh, lost weekend, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we're uh, hoping for better things. And then obviously we talked about the Yankees. We're going to go into the time machine a little bit. We're going to talk about some current things. But uh, one of my favorites is on the line, columnist for the New York Post. Mike Vaccaro, you can check him out on Twitter, at Mike Vac. And he wrote a column earlier this week, and it brought me back to, you know, a 16-year-old Mike Silva watching the 92-93 Knicks. And probably, you know, and when you're 16 years old, heartbreak is it's not as big as when you get older, when there's real heartbreak and there's real issues. But uh, that Knicks team, probably uh, one of the biggest sports heartbreaks that, that I experienced. And he brought back a fun moment from that season that was a precursor to one of the worst moments. And he's with us now is Mike Vaccaro. Mike you're on the air here with Mike Silva. How you doing, my friend? Good, Mike. How are you? Good to be here with you. Well, listen, you, you took us back. Memorial Day is a, a chance to like take a step back, be with your family, talk about the good times, the bad times. Um, and you took us back, you know, Knicks fans, to a pretty cool moment, the dunk, which I still have the, the poster that you mentioned in the article. <laughs> I bought that probably a month after in Dyka Heights at a comic book store, got it framed, and every residence I've lived at, my office, I've popped that up. So I don't have a, a, a remake. I have one of the first ones they probably ran, that first run from June of 93, uh, hanging up on my office wall. You get one of the originals. I do. What made you, what made you do this? What made you? I mean, I know it's 25 years, but it was interesting. You kind of threw it out there. I uh, wasn't expecting that. Well, I mean, it was an anniversary. That's basically it. Um, 
you know, I guess if you're going to acknowledge that anniversary of that series, you, you have one of two people you're going to call, John Starks or Charles Smith, which means you're really going to bring up a lot of good memories or a lot of bad memories. And I guess even the good memories go along with some bad memories because you have to kind of remember how that series ended. But uh, that was they, 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 uh, that was pretty much it. You know, sometimes uh, you know, you're just looking at the uh, you just you're just looking at the calendar one time and like, oh, it happened 25 years ago. And you're like, oh wait, that's 25 years ago. So then you got time pause. Absolutely, Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post, with us. The funny part about that article is you you bring up that Starks on that play they measured it. He had a 42-inch vertical leap, which is not something that he could honestly probably do if he was asked to do it again. And I think it was something that if that was the vertical leap of Starks, that's like at the high end of the current draft prospects. That was an interesting little nugget you pulled out of there. Yeah, he was talking about that. You know, he acknowledges that uh, that uh, you know sometimes you're you're just pushed along by the uh, momentum and the adrenaline of the moment. That's kind of what you know, showing what happened with him there. Um, I asked him if he'd ever. You know, tried to replicate it again, just goofing around in practice, and he's like, that, that, "That's not even something you could think about because it was just a moment that he was carried to, you know, by the moment, by the by the crowd, by the energy, by the noise, by the you know, by the situation. It was uh, kind of a perfect storm that allowed it all to happen." The interesting part of that particular series is that the Knicks go up 2-0, and they really had Michael Jordan on the mat. I mean, it was about to, you know, he was about to 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 ring out, but it's Michael Jordan. They go back, they lose two in Chicago, and then there's the, the infamous Game 5 where the refs didn't blow the whistle. Um, it's, if the Knicks had won that Game 5, I mean, it's still Michael Jordan, and we're going to see you know, LeBron James going into a hostile environment tonight and as it's going on in Game 7. And you know great players, they find a way to get it done. But the feeling, and I still to this day, and I cannot prove it, the feeling was if the Knicks win that Game 5, I just don't think... Riley and the Knicks, they had won like 26 or 27 in a row at the Garden at home. I don't think they would have lost a Game 7 at home. I know, it's, I know we can't prove it, but even though it's Michael Jordan, it was hard for me to believe that team, which I thought was the best Knicks team. Maybe 96, 97 might have been a little bit better, but I thought that was the best Knicks team at a Riley era. No, I think it was clearly the best team in that era, uh, without, without question. They won 60 games. It, just, uh, it was a team that really seemed to capture... You know the moment, and you know it was done in the in the uh, in the teeth of of Mike, Michael Jordan's prime. You know it's it's uh, it's you know one of the things that uh, you know I think is really a uh, a uh, uh, you know a moment in time that just kind of came and went. Uh, you know very quickly because that was you know that, that team was never the same again. I mean Doc Rivers goes down um, with an injury, and it was you know he, he was as good as Derek Harper was. It was. It's a different dynamic because you had a different guy there, and that was the that was the team that went to the finals. But um, I, I, I agree. I think they would have won Game Seven. I think they would have beaten the Suns at least as easily as as, as the Bulls wind up doing. Uh, it was just uh, you know it was it was, it was it was it was the right time, the right moment, the right year. They just didn't win the game they had to win. Absolutely, and you wonder if they had beaten Jordan in Game Seven. I know he was burnt out from having the Olympics, and they basically Jordan had played almost three straight years. And at an intense high level, if you include Barcelona. And then his father was murdered, unfortunately. You wonder, though, would he have jumped and left the game on that note? It was easy for him to retire because he had won three titles in a row. Now, there's the conspiracy theorist that said he was suspended, but let's put that aside. you got to wonder how it changes the course of NBA history. That one non-call of Charles Smith, that it changed the course of NBA history in a way. I don't think he would have retired if they would have lost that. I think it, I think it would have been one of those things where it would have been a, 
you know, one of the many motivating things that, that seem to carry Jordan from, from year to year in Tommy Dobbins' career. So uh, I, I agree with you. It would have, uh, there's a lot that would have been different in terms of uh, NBA history if, uh, if that series goes a different way. Now, I watched the Rockets and the Suns yesterday. And as I'm watching that game, I'm looking at a high level of offense. It was funny, if you go back to the 90s, teams had to, you know, run to get an advantage. Um, You know, isolation was the common thread. I'm looking at some numbers. The reason that the Rockets had even gotten to the point where they're a game from the finals is that they forced the Golden State Warriors into isolation, which they don't want to be in. It's almost like a different game. It's amazing how we're watching a game. And if I had taken Mike Vaccaro from 1993 and plopped him on a couch yesterday, you'd be like, what game is this I'm watching? What, 53 pointers? It's amazing how things have changed. And don't forget that, uh, you know, when you, when you, you know, when we talk nostalgically of those great Knicks teams, uh, you know, even in a moment, we kind of realize we're watching some pretty ugly basketball, very defensive, very physical, a lot of, you know, 82 to 78 games. Um, uh, it, it, it was a very, very, very different brand than what you see. And, you know, some people say they prefer that. I, I always laugh when people talk about, you know, basketball and defense. And it's like everybody, everybody wants to preach about how great, you know, defensive basketball is, so we have to actually watch it. <laughs> Unless you were a Knicks and, fan, you didn't like it. Let's put it that way. Right, which, is, which isn't to say that, 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 that the Warriors or the Celtics, the Cavaliers, don't play good defense. It's just not a kind of a brand of defense that, that stifles the game. You know, it's, it's, uh, that was always the uh, – just because those, those great Knicks teams came almost on the heels of those terrific uh, Pistons teams, the bad boys teams that, uh, that were, you know, also in their own way a little bit almost unwatchable because they were just so defensive-minded. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 you're right when you say it's almost a completely different game because in a lot of ways it really is. Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. You can check him out on Twitter, at Mike Vac. Uh, joining us here. Uh, staying on the NBA theme here, you wrote another interesting piece about the Celtics, and it got me thinking. You know, Here we are in a world that in the last 12 months, or less than 12 months, the Yankees are a likable team and that came, short up, came up short in the postseason. And the Celtics actually are a team that I think, if you put a lot of truth serum into the NBA fan, that most people are rooting for today. I don't know. I, I don't know. The LeBron James is tough to get a read on. Personally, I'd rather see the Celtics win because then the LeBron narrative kind of plays out. Where is he going to go? If LeBron wins, I guess there's another narrative, but it's almost to be expected that he goes against Golden State and loses. So it, the Celtics have almost turned the corner here where they become the underdog, so to speak, and the likable team. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that it necessarily is made to where people are rooting, you know, Against the Cavs necessarily, but I do think that you know I I, I think that much like you know I, I, I do think there's a, uh, a a correlation between the, the Celtics and the Yankees because they're both uh, you know the standard traditional uh, dynasty teams that uh, you know it's it's it's, it's have kind of you know, two two equally fervent groups following them. They're the teams that the people that love them and the teams that that hate them, and I just don't know that there are as many people who are Hating of the of, of the uh, of the Celtics now, you know, kind of similar to the way the Yankees were last year. I think the Yankees kind of lost that uh, part of them when they when they went choir Stanton, and I'm not so sure there's a there's just as equally uh, a uh, anti-Yankee feeling now as it's ever been, just because they're so you know they, they're so they've been so dominant. But uh, um, I do think you feel an element of that in what's going on with the Celtics for sure. 
So here we are at Memorial Day, the unofficial start of summer, and we have two New York baseball teams. Now, statistically, the Mets are in it, and they're going to probably be in it statistically for a while. It's hard to not be in now with two wild cards in the race uh, and be out of it by June 1st. Yankees are playing at a high level. They showed some warts this week with the starting pitching. Give us kind of your State of the Union here, Memorial Day, the first check-in of both these teams and what you're going to be looking at as we go into the, you know, the summertime, which is basically starting now. Well, I think what's fascinating is that between the Yankees and the Red Sox, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty well guaranteed that there's going to be a 100-win team that's going to have to play for its life in one do-or-die game in the playoffs. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, and it's, going to, it's, it's going to give that kind of an old-fashioned playoff feel or, or a pennant race feel because there's just going to be so much attached to, to, uh, you know, to, to, winning, the, uh, to winning the East. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the Yankees are such a strong squad that they kind of can, can out-hit their problems. Uh, over the long haul, I think it's pretty clear that they probably need to make a, a move or two uh, to strengthen um, to strengthen their, uh, their their starting pitching. We're gonna, I think we're going to see a lot this next couple of days because they face Verlander and and then uh, and then Morton and then Keiko, and that's going to be kind of a reminder of of the kind of teams they're going to have to face in the playoffs. It's not uh, always going to be uh, you know the uh, the Ham and Eggers they were facing against the A's last week and on and on. Um, but uh, I think they're fine. You know, it, 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 it's, it's going to be the mess that it's going to be interesting to watch because they, it's a young season and it's amazing. I mean, they, 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 they lead baseball and the most wins from when they've been trailing with, you know, after six innings is amazing to think about because it seems like they've given half their games away. <laughs> right. And, you know, t- t- today was another example of that. I mean, that, you know, it, it can look especially ugly when your bullpen isn't, isn't pulling its load and, and that's kind of where the Mets are right now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it seems like every move Mickey Callaway makes is the wrong one. And that's the thing that happens to a manager sometimes. I mean, sometimes you just, you know, a couple of weeks ago he got roasted because he didn't Jerry Blevins in to face Nick Williams of Phillies and, and Nick Williams had a home run. Well, you know, you know he, he essentially has done that now, you know, the, the last couple of days going you know, down the road by the book bringing Blevins in, and Blevins can't get any lefties out. So, I mean, it's... You know, there are times that you just have to kind of remember that it's the players who play the game and you know, the players are going to determine whether you look smart or not. Absolutely. So what do you have coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks? What are, you, what are you looking at? Obviously, we have the NBA Finals, Mets, Yankees, but you're falling into where it's really just baseball. I mean, I know the Knicks and the draft and what have you. NFL is still a little ways away. So what are you going to be looking at over the next few weeks? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, fortunately because we're, we're in a time now where, where basketball in New York is kind of a, uh, you know, it's kind of in a lull. Right. Uh, it's just the way it is. So it's really, especially these days, it's, 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 it's all basketball, basketball, baseball, baseball, baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, I miss that. As much as I enjoy baseball, I, I, I wouldn't mind returning to the old days where, you know, really the first important uh, baseball games that were played in New York were played, you know, after the Knicks were eliminated from the playoffs. Those are good days um, and made for exciting times. But, uh, you know, for now, where we are, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very baseball-heavy time and a very baseball-heavy city, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, it's amazing. You just brought up a great point. There's fans that probably don't realize that if this show was happening in 1994, 95, even 1997 after the Yankees won the World Series, you're right, from April 1 when baseball started till sometime in June when the Knicks were eliminated – 
and even the Rangers I'll throw in there to a certain degree, it was about the Knicks. It was about this quest for this elusive title. And at this point, you know, with a new, another new regime, the Knicks almost have become like the Rangers were in the 90s. It's almost 50 years, uh, Mike. It's They're going to be the ones that, you know, I die in peace with the, the signs up when the, if and when they win a championship. That's right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, becoming a, uh, it's becoming a legitimate drought. <laughs> if, we're, if we're not there already, we're certainly careening toward that, that time. And it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it's absolutely a uh, you know uh, a, a very dry time in the desert right now for 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 the uh, you know for Knicks fans and like you said it's been a long time since anybody can, anybody can remember when they kind of rolled the roost the way they did back in the day. All right, Mike. Well, listen. Thanks a lot for your time tonight. Uh, have a, a burger on Memorial Day. Hopefully, it doesn't rain wherever you are. And uh, be well. And we'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Good talking to you. That's Mike Vaccaro, a sports reporter for the New York Post, at Mike Vac on Twitter. Interesting stuff. And, I mean, that is truly the part of sports that I think he's right you miss. I mean, I think back to 1999, and you had that year, you had the, the Knicks in the finals. Uh, the Jets had played Denver in the in the AFC Championship. The following year, leading after 99, the, the Giants went to the Super Bowl. Uh, you had the Mets and Yankees perennially playing, you know, for something, including each other in the in the Subway Series, and then even during the season, the season Subway Series. There was so much New York sports to like, and it was such a fun time. And now you feel like things are a lot more complicated. Everything is is kind of. I mean, it goes to how I look at my Twitter feed, and here I am talking about. Look, in the next three weeks, the Mets should. Look at this team. If this team falls out of the muck, and there's a possibility it could happen, then they have to evaluate. Okay, who are we going to sell? What we could get, and start to think about next year. It's never too early for that, and, and I don't think that's going to be the case. But if it does happen, there are those who say, "Well, we got to rip it down to the studs," and that's not what I. I you can rebuild and replenish your farm system without losing 115 games at the big league level. There's no excuse for that. There really isn't. And if the stack guys are telling you have to do that, they're full of crap because. There's no reason for that. The Mets have the sixth pick of the draft this year. They could put the worst team out in the league out there. There's no guarantee that any of those top five picks will ever be the impact player. And in baseball, it's not about one impact player. It's about many. And it's about doing both. And I think the Mets can do both. And if it does come down to that, I think that's the direction that Sandy Olderson and ownership will go. I don't think it'll be about a complete rebuild. But the point is, you know, Vaccaro brings us back to another time with the dunk. Uh, I remember that play. I remember vividly where I was sitting, how I was watching it, and that series. And and I will tell you, you know, if you're a Knicks fan and you're listening to this, and you weren't around or old enough to understand the team at that point, they had won so many games in a row, and they had gone on such a great streak from like January 15th on that year, that you never thought they were going to lose at home. There was no chance. Like no matter how much they were down. No matter the situation, I remember in Game 5, they got down by about 10 points late, and you were getting nervous. There was no doubt about it. But it never crossed your mind that they would lose at home. It was almost like yeah, they're going to win at home. And that's how they – I think the team almost approached that series against the Bulls where, ah, we don't have to worry about the road games. And I'm not saying they didn't come to win, but I don't know if there was that sense of urgency in trying to steal a game in Chicago. Now, as that team – developed the following year they had to win a big game in Indiana on the road they had to win in Houston in the finals on the road uh, and they got better in big moments in Indiana uh, in Miami later in the decade on the road because they had to you, you have to win road games you can't just rely on the home court advantage you're seeing that 
in these series. Um, so it's just a different world, a different time, and it was really interesting to uh, to see and definitely a, a fun trip down memory lane with Mike Vaccaro, the New York Post. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get a little NBA update. Later on, Zach Braziller of the New York Post, he was at Yankee Stadium. Want to get his thoughts on the Yankees and what he saw and maybe get thoughts on Otani, who had a pretty quiet series. And obviously Mike Trout had a big series. So we'll, uh, more, more New York sports talk. With Mike Silva in for the On Assignment, Rich Catino, right after this. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within. Um. C. Look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D. Show empathy. Mom, you really don't have. Ta da! Twinsies. <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers, but you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Check WLIE540AM.com every day and find out what's happening in your community. From one of the largest and most diverse radio stations in the tri-state area, stay connected at WLIE540AM.com. When you were a little kid and you thought about what you wanted to be, teaching was at the top of your list. But things changed. And as you got older, teaching didn't seem like the best option anymore. So you're thinking you'll be something else. But what would your 12-year-old self say? Now you want to be a doctor. You don't think teachers save lives? 25 at a time. An actress? Try playing a different role every time the bell rings. How about a scientist? Ever heard of physics, chemistry? Who do you think teaches that? Teachers today are breaking down obstacles, finding innovative ways to instill old lessons, and taking learning far beyond the four walls of the classroom. It's time to recognize that great things are happening in teaching and put it back on your list. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You had it right the first time. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. It's the New York Sports Wrap with Mike Silva here. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Of course, if you're wondering where Rich Catino is, he's on assignment down in Atlanta covering the Mets. So I'm subbing, subbing in. Justin Walter is also on assignment. So you're stuck with me for the next, oh, 35 minutes or so. Obviously, if you're listening live and you want to call in, I'll, I'll try to pop in a phone call. 631-955-5400. We got producer... Our friend producer over here. What was producer Steven? I almost got you called you Justin. How do I call you? I got Justin Walters. I got Critch Katina. I almost called you producer Justin. I'm like, geez. Producer Steven with his Golden Knights uh, jersey on on there. I'm looking at, and if you, I mean, you're not listening to this show for an update on scores, but anyway, if you're, if you are and you're not watching in front of a TV, which if you're listening to this show at this time live and not on iTunes, you're, you're a sports junkie. Celtics up by 12 with 6.47 left in the second quarter, 35-23. So that narrative with LeBron James, who the last, the last time LeBron James lost 
a playoff series at the Garden. It's not a finals, NBA finals, at the Boston Garden. It was 2009-2010 season. And that's when, uh, obviously, he went into the decision and a free agency and left Cleveland. Makes you wonder if the Celtics are going to put the nail in LeBron's Cleveland career a second time. What I did find interesting, because I've been trying to think about this, and the modern NBA is like, and I I do so much more baseball that I dive into the baseball on on a much more granular level than I do the NBA. But obviously, when I do shows like this, I have to do my homework. I have to watch the games, and, and I do enjoy the NBA. Not as much as I used to in the 90s. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do, like Mike Vaccaro said about the Knicks, and the Knicks not necessarily being that good for a while. Although, you know, we'll not get into that today, but David Fisdale, hopefully, and what Scott Perry and, and Steve Mills are trying to build. Hopefully, I know this is like the third rebuild in 15 years. Hopefully, this one is is the one that kind of sticks here. You know, I'm, I'm looking at him saying, how do you beat the Golden State Warriors or the Rockets? Now, let's, let's look. You're only going to have to face one of them. And I was... And I said this with Justin Walters. I thought if the Rockets could steal a game in Golden State, bring it back to Game 5, Game 5 would be pivotal, and the winner of Game 5 would win the series. Now, I'm going to stand by that. I think the Rockets are going to win this series. However, the key would be this, and I was amazed. And this was some stats from Synergy Sports. And it was an article in the Wall Street Journal by Ben Cohen. So uh, he had talked about how the Rockets, and I'm not a big Mike D'Antoni guy, and I didn't really like D'Antoni when he's here. He was not the coach that I wanted when the Knicks were looking for a coach. I still, in 2008, and I have to let this go because you really can't play like this. I still was about the rough-and-tumble, hardcore, defensive-minded coach. Like To me, Tom Thibodeau would be the perfect coach if I had to hire a coach right now. Now, you know, I don't know if, if, if that's the right decision. With some, you know, Everybody has the debate about how you could play in today's NBA. There are guys far more versed and smarter than me, guys like Tommy D, our buddy from the Knicks blog, and things like that. But to me, that's the kind of coach I would hire. And back then when they hired D'Antoni, I was like, eh, here's a guy that has Steve Nash. He plays this open game. You know, They failed to really win a championship. When it comes down to it, how can you hire a guy that has a system that in the end won't yield the ultimate prize, which is, which is a championship? Looking back, D'Antoni, who also failed in, with the Lakers, but he came in the Lakers at a bad time. And he probably, with the Knicks, the Carmelo trade undid him because Carmelo was not interested in playing anything but isolation ball, which was totally against what D'Antoni wanted. But this is the point I'm about to make. The way the Rockets are beating the Warriors is they're forcing them into isolation. The Warriors want to make about 300 passes a game. They want ball movement, but they want to run the ball. They want to have this this wide-open game where they could shoot threes from, I mean, geez, the, the mezzanine, they seem like they could hit threes. What the Rockets have done is a team that only had about five to six isolation possessions a game during the regular season is averaging about 23 in this series. That's a huge amount, and that takes them out of their comfort zone. And they're essentially doing what teams like the Knicks and the Pistons tried to do to the Bulls back in the day, although not with the same methods. I mean, those teams were getting just very physical and slowing the game down. But what the Rockets are doing, they're trying to do that, trying to force them into isolation possessions and then keeping their offensive principles in check. Now, what you saw yesterday is that maybe, and the Golden State went on that wild run in the second half, where they blitz the Rockets. Maybe the the Warriors, and this is what happens in a seven-game series, maybe the Warriors figured out the Rockets a little bit because James Harden now is starting to make uh, uh, trips to the basket 
drives to the basket. He's not getting the foul calls. Now, that could be a component of playing on the road. Let's see that happen in Game 7. Because one of the most aggravating things about watching James Harden is when you play him and and, and you're the, the opponent, is that it seems like anytime he goes to the basket, anytime he wants, they're going to call a foul. It's almost like he's waiting for the foul call. And you're going to get 20 to 25 free throws out of, out of him a game. And you're like, okay, how do you... How do you stop that in a big spot? It's almost like he is going to get free throws in a big spot because the refs are going to blow the whistle. Well, yesterday that didn't happen. So did the Warriors figure something out, or it was the home court advantage? I'll be looking for that in a Game 7. I think the Rockets, if they stay to their defensive principles, and they can really, and I think yesterday they they had the formula to win. They I, I really believe when you're on the road, you got to get ahead, you got to stay ahead, and you got to withstand the runs. And although in other games they had runs and Golden State would go up, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 points, which in today's NBA against this Rockets team, 7 to 10 points is not a lot. But once you get it to 15 to 20, then that's... 15 to 20 is like how 10 points used to be back in the old days. So, to me, they stayed ahead, but they let that run get too out of control, and they couldn't answer. And part of that is Harden couldn't get to the line. But... What they're doing is they're forcing the Warriors into isolation. Curry has not, up until yesterday, had a great series. They're making the Warriors uncomfortable. Now the Warriors have to go to a Game 7 on the road and win. Now they're champions, and until they get beat, everyone's going to say that they're going to favor the Warriors. But the series has gone long. I was surprised to even see that the Rockets were a top-10 defensive team. I know that that's not a D'Antoni. Kudos to D'Antoni bringing in the right assistance to have that happen because he's not known as a defensive coach. They've always had to have a, a almost defensive coordinator with D'Antoni. And maybe at this time, the Rockets have figured out how you beat the Warriors. You've got to force them to be uncomfortable into isolation. And now it's tough. It's not an easy thing. I'm sitting here saying it because they also have the ability to score at a high level. So it's not just that. But that gives you some hope. Brad Stevens, who I admire a lot, has done an incredible job with his Celtics team. I mean, how many teams could win and go to a Game 7 and be on the verge of going to the NBA Finals without their two best players? So it gives you some hope that maybe they get to the Finals, they'll give the, 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 the Warriors or even the Rockets a, a little bit of a hard time, but you got to think that right now, tomorrow, the winner of that game is going to win an NBA championship. And I think it's going to be the Rockets. I think the Rockets have figured something out. And to me, I almost owe Mike D'Antoni an apology because I, dis- I felt he was a snake oil salesman. He just bothered me. I- it was the same thing. Look, I never wanted Terry Collins as the Mets manager. And to be fair, he never, got a- he never was going to get a break from me. I gave him maybe a break for a year. He was not my kind of manager. Mike D'Antoni was not my kind of coach. I actually liked Mike Woodson a heck of a lot better than I liked Man- Mike D'Antoni. And looking back, when Phil Jackson was hired, he's not exactly... The Zen thing, although there's components of it that I think are, you know, mindfulness and what have you that are, are good things to incorporate into your process, that wasn't necessarily the kind of culture that I was buying. I'm a Pat Riley guy, and now they seem to maybe have gotten that guy in David Fisdale. But to me, the biggest part of this is that the Rockets may have figured something out here. This team that everybody feels can't be beat, maybe it was as simple as trying to force them into some isolation on a high level. And their passes, they want to get 300 passes a game, the Warriors. Every game since the beginning, they've gone down. They've, they're down about 40 passes. Now, I don't know how many passes they had yesterday. I don't have access to the Synergy Sports, but certainly they played more of their game in the second half than they did 
at any other part since the early portion of the series. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Zach Braziller of the New York Post. He was out at Yankee Stadium. We'll get a feel of what he thinks about the Yankees. We'll talk Yankees baseball in the final segment of the show. We'll, we'll get a, his thoughts on Otani and whatever else is going on in the world of New York sports. We'll be back with more New York sports wrap right after this. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to a pop concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. Or B, just roll with it. Justin! OMG! I love you, Justin! I love you! You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hi, We're back. New York Sports Wrap. Mike Silva in here for the on assignment. Rich Catino. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. I may have mushed. I was talking about the Celtics and the finals. They're now up 39 37 with a minute 45 left. Again, if you're listening to this show and worried about me giving you scores, then you got a problem with the, with the age of apps and just turn on the damn TV. But uh, joining us from the New York Post, sports reporter for the New York Post, he was out at Yankee Stadium today and Wanted to get a feel of his thoughts on the Yankees, and we'll, we'll see what else we'll get into. Is Zach Brasilia of the New York Post at NYPost underscore B R A Z I L L E. Zach, Mike Silva, how you doing today? What's up, buddy? How are you? Not bad. So, uh, Otani, not a, a, a huge weekend at all, kind of a quiet weekend. No. Give me your thoughts on him. Yeah, I mean, I was really excited when I when I was uh, I got the assignment to cover today's game. I was thought I was going to get to see him pitch. But that obviously didn't happen. You know, the Angels trying to make, you know monitor his workload. Who knows if what exactly was behind that, whether it was really about limiting innings or maybe they just didn't want to show him to the Yankees because they could obviously play face in the playoffs or the wild card game. So, you know, I mean, he's got he's, – he's really hitting. I mean, it's, I think he lived up to the hype. He didn't do, didn't do a lot this weekend. Struck out twice against Tanaka, which I'm sure was a uh, big deal back in Japan. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, the guy's been terrific. He's really helped the Angels. The Angels look like they're, you know, they're right there to probably win the wild card, win a wild card um, in the AL. Probably, the, you know, the second wild card after whoever doesn't win the AL East. So I mean, you know, it's the guy's terrific. I, I just would have loved to see him pitch. You know, the Yankees. I mean, everybody's kind of looking at them at this runaway train. They and the Red Sox up there at the top of the division. I mean, look, we know they're going to be in the tournament. And there's a possibility that there'll be a 100-win team that will be a wild-card team and have to play in a playing game. And, look, it may be you at Yankee Stadium. I don't know. I mean, Atani would be pitching, but Atani versus Severino in October for a playing game. It's possible. Um, I think the Yankees, and you'll see it going into the Houston series, 
when teams have good starting pitching, they're going to need, especially as they get into short series, to match that. And right now, outside of Severino, and I know Tanaka did it today, but he's been basically a below-league average pitcher now for two years. The Yankees right now have to show that they can match zeros from the starting rotation because, to me, this week, they sh- there's some concerns with Gray and Sabathia and guys like that. And, again, I know that it's not going to impact them in the regular season, but it's not too early, this first you know, first unofficial day of summer, to start looking at the Yankees long-term in the postseason and say, okay, how do they match up against the big teams? And I'll tell you what, in starting pitching, they don't match up very well, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear they're, you know, they they need to go and get a, you know, a, 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 to be a number two starter, if not a number one. I mean, Severino's terrific. He's pitching great. You know, he's obviously good enough to be your ace, but you need another, they need another big pitcher. Um, you just compare, you know, I was talking to another writer today, and we're like, who, let's say the playoffs started tomorrow. Who would even pitch game two for them? I guess you would pitch Tanaka, um, but I mean, it's, you know, their system is loaded. I, I don't think there's any doubt. They're going to go out and try to get a big starting pitcher, you know, whether it's Cole Hamels or, you know, there's talk maybe Michael Fulmer could be available. Um, guys are along, you know, those lines. Um, I, I like Hamels. I don't love him. I don't know if Hamels is necessarily putting them over the top, but they need another uh, – they, they clearly need another guy. I mean, there's no doubt about it when you look at some of these teams. Um, and, you know, that to me is – that's got to be a fear for the Yankees. You know, you, they're going to win 96, 97 games. I don't think there's any question about it, maybe even more. But you you lose out of the division a few games, and you got to face an Otani or let's say it's the Mariners with Paxton. You know, that's, that's a dangerous game, obviously. Um, so I think – but they clearly need another starter. I think they, they need another starter not only in the playoffs but to win the division. I, I don't know if they're going to beat out Boston – with the way their starting pitching is right now, um, and they'll be active. But I, that you know, not trading for Garrett Cole could really come back to bite them when you look at just how good he's been for the Astros and just how how different would the Yankees look right now if they had Otani or Cole as one of their top two arms. You know, I think Tanaka is, I think Tanaka is fine as your three. I think you get you can get you can get by with it. But to me, they they need to go out and get another pitcher. To me, there's there's just no doubt about it. And. I mean, who knows what it would have taken from the Yankees to get uh, Jarrett Cole, but Miguel Handuhar probably was the name that maybe they put off limits. And I don't blame the Pirates because the Yankees, historically, they don't like to put their A prospects in these deals. They like to sell you on the Bs and the Cs that are eventually going to be quote-unquote As. And then you work, work out these deals, and you're like, well, I really didn't get the guy. Like The Yankees got the guy when they traded Chapman. That's what these teams want. And, and it, with a team that's loaded with offense... I mean, I'm not saying Andujar is a bad player, and he's probably going to get better. He's young. He's 23 years old. You really need the starting pitcher more than you need the third baseman that's hitting 290, 300, and could pop you 15 to 20 home runs. I know it's crazy to say that, but if that's what holds them back from winning a championship is another starter, you got to wonder, and I know some fans have started to tweet about it, and I know that's all the emotion and the nonsense of Twitter, about how Brian Cashman never really has figured out this starting rotation thing for a while. One of the reasons the Yankees didn't win more in the 2000s is because in short series, their starting pitching has not been good for a long time. When I say not good, not up to the level of uh, of teams they faced. Uh, yeah, I mean, but look at what they gave up for Sonny Gray. I mean, he clearly went, you know, they gave up a good amount for Gray. And, you know, they thought they were getting a number two starter when they traded for Gray. And clearly that, that has not been the case so far. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think they're going to, you know, they gave up some good prospects for Gray. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think they were trying to, they gave up C prospects for him. 
Um, I, I think they gave up good ones, but they're going to have to give up more. They're going to, you know, to me, the Yankees, if you want to go in the World Series, they need to go out and they, they need to get a big-time big time starting pitcher. They need a to get their Verlander. That's what they need to do. They need to find out. The, the problem is I don't, I don't think you're going to have someone as good on the market. Right. You know, you know this. Look, who knows? Right now, the Mets are one game over five hundred. Mets I mean, are not going to give up they, their guys to the Yankees. No, no, but that's my point. Is they need? They're obviously not. If they do give up Karam, they're not giving them up to the Yankees. Uh, but they need some. To me, they need someone of that ilk. And I just don't know if if that guy's out there. Is Michael Fulmer that guy? Will he even be? A, I mean, we don't even know if the Tigers are make him available. He's twenty five years old. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see really who is on the market. Um, you know, once we get there, I mean, I think there have been listeners, maybe, maybe the Dodgers put Clayton Kershaw on the market, you know, if they're way out of it. I, I heard, you know, some people on Twitter saying that. Which I don't, Bum Garner, I don't Yankee fans are dreaming like, about Bum Garner. I mean, those are the, I mean, that's the level that Yankee yeah, fans are going Yeah, but Bum Garner just signed a new contract. I know, why young, would they trade him? He's not like he's 32, he's young, and, yeah. you know, the Giants, that AL, that NL West is, like, up for grabs. I mean, I... It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for the Giants to trade Bumgarner either. I mean, you know, look, we're going to hear a million different players bandied about in the next, you know, I guess eight weeks or six weeks or so. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no doubt to me for the Yankees right now. It's, they got to they got to go out and they got to get a big time arm. And I agree, they need their Verlander. But the problem is, you know, the Astros went out and got Verlander, and the Astros went out and got Cole, and the Yankees went out and got Gray, and he has just not been close to what they thought he was going to be. Well, you saw Tanaka today, and look, he pitched well in the ALCS last year against Houston, so it's possible they have that guy. And that's who they thought they were signing when they made the deal back in 2014. Uh, what did you see differently with Tanaka? I mean, I, I, we're, listen, we're going on two years where he's a below-league average pitcher, and if you look at the, the metrics on the back end, you know, he's a guy who's going to give you a 5 ERA, he's going to have some really good outings, but he's liable to get clocked. What they need in the postseason is not a guy that you have to put on the mound and say, geez, I hope today's not the day that they, he gives up four or five runs in the first two innings. Because if he does that, you're against uh, Charlie Morton or Verlander or a guy of that ilk, you're done. You're not coming back from that, even with their offense, because they can't expect to outslug teams, even though they're capable of it. Even in a postseason game, you can't expect to outslug these teams. And Tanaka's the guy that you have to wonder, is this a, is this a start today that maybe gets him going in the right direction? You know, I mean, his stuff was really good. He, he, you know, he was up to 94, 95 with his fastball. His breaking pitches were really sharp. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I've just seen him pitch a lot of big-time games. I, I trust Tanaka in the big spot. I, I really do. Um, to me, if he's your number three guy, to me, that's good enough. I get it. He's not going to be as good as the Astros three or maybe the Indians three um, guy or maybe even the Red Sox, but I, I, to me, I think Tanaka in a big spot is good enough. The problem to me is the lack of a number two guy. You're not pitching Sebastia. You know, to me, you can't trust Gray, especially after what he did in the playoffs last year. You know, they, they need that guy to go in game two. and he's, To me, he's not on the roster right now. Um, and like I said, I'm sure they're going to do something. Um, I like the idea of Hamels. I like the idea of a lefty. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably going to be the guy. You know, he's you know he's pitched in big games. He knows what it's like to pitch in you know in a major city where there's tons of pressure and their expectations. You know, coming from Philly, um, that you know that's probably going to be the guy. The Rangers are having a terrible year. Uh, that's that's probably going to be the best guy available, I would think, uh, when we get to this deadline. And that'll be interesting. Is Cole Hamels? 
I mean, he pitched well in Philly, not an easy series, uh, not an easy city to pitch well in, and he won a championship there. He's been in Texas. Uh, you know, he's got he's been made fun of before because he's got the wife and he's got this fashion thing, so I know that that'll be a thing, you know, a little bit. But, you know, this listen, anyone who comes here who's, a, who's either a rental or someone brought in to be that guy, he's not going to be given a pass. They're going to expect them to compete at a high level, pitch them to a championship, and if they fail, i.e. like a Randy Johnson, you know how things go. So you almost have to be right. And it's funny that I see some fans saying Cashman doesn't know how to pick these guys. I don't know if that's the case. It's hard to know how someone's going to do in this environment. Uh, I'm not comparing uh, Hamels to Jason Vargas, but look at Jason Vargas. He goes to Kansas City and Seattle in, in, in no man's land, and he pitches okay. Now he's got some spotlight on him, and he struggled. So you never know how somebody, when they come here, how they're going to pitch. Yeah, but the other thing, Kenny you know, Rogers Hamels, comes to mind Hamels too. To be, you're not bringing Hamels here to be your ace either. You're bringing right. him here to be your number two guy behind Severino. I think, I think that kind of alleviates some pressure as well. Um, you know that that to me is another you know another factor. Um, but I, you know I'm just I'm just thinking I just don't I real I, I look Hamels is not a Verlander type. He's not that good of a he's not that good. He doesn't have Cole stuff. Um, I just, I just don't know who will be. At, it just doesn't sound like there's going to be right. that big guy out there. I mean, I, I don't see the Giants with, with moving Bumgarner after just signing to an extension. Um, I, maybe Fulmer, but I mean, it's, I would probably. I don't even know if I would put Fulmer. I would trust him at that level. I mean, no, he's good. I would probably trust Havels more than Fulmer right. at this point. And right. I don't. I mean, he's 25 too. Why, why would the Tigers be in a rush to get rid of him? I mean, I, I think if Havels is probably going to be the guy that they're going to have to get. And look, there's going to be a, they're not going to be alone either. Now the Yankees have a great system. If they're willing to part with the right prospects, I think they can get Hamels. But there are going to be a lot of teams because it does It's not going to be a great market for for high end starting pitching. It doesn't seem like. Um, so it, it's going to be a lot of competition for the top guys. So there's no guarantee they get someone like that either. But I agree with you. I mean, to get, as good as the Yankees look for the most part during you know right now and you know day in and day out. It's not a team that's necessarily made for the playoffs because that because they really lack that starting pitching. Yeah, and we've seen this story play out. Their offense has been good in the past. Zach Brazilia of the New York Post joining us here. Let me throw another thing out where you can go another direction. And again, here it is. It's Memorial Day, and we're talking about the Yankees showing up for the postseason. But the American League is really shaping up to be. That's the situation, short of a yeah. collapse. Uh, the bullpen, which was a strength in October, and I still think Robertson will be fine, and Canley's back, and Chapman is Chapman. But Tonsi's is interesting because I know that there's a lack of trust, maybe, because he's been now for a while, what, a year and a half? He's been not so great. Uh, he's had a pretty good May. I know he walked the batter to start the eighth inning today. But maybe there's an opportunity while Robertson's struggling, while Canley's trying to get himself back into form, to get this guy into higher leverage situations. I mean, he's striking out 16, 17 per nine innings. That's like Josh Hader. So it's not like he's a scrub here and he's missing a lot of bats. It's just that he gets, when he gets out of his, of, you know, he gets off his game, he, he's off. Um, what, what do you see in Batances and do you see maybe there's an, uh, an opportunity there for him to, to play a bigger role this year than he did last year in the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, Boone's I mean, clearly giving him opportunities. I mean, he pitched the eighth inning in a two-run game today, uh, you know, against the top of the lineup. Um, you know, it's, the stuff is always there. It's clear, it's clear as day. I think one thing that could help is maybe a lighter, you know, lighter workload so far this year. Um, you know, the last, the last few years he just pitched so much to me by the end of the year he was, he was kind of gassed. 
Uh, I think that was part of it. And I think in the, in the end, by my October, I think the Yankee bullpen will be fine. You know, maybe these guys might not be having great years, but I mean, the arms here are just are terrific. You know, we, you know, when you talk about Kaylee and Green and, and Chapman and Bacanface and, and Robertson, I mean, you have five just terrific, terrific arms. Um, so I, I look, it might not be quite as as dominant as it's as it's been in the past, but to me, it's. You know, it's a very good bullpen, and, and, and when you when they need these guys, I think they're going to be there. So, yeah, my my worry for the Yankees to me is is all about starting pitching. I have no, I have no, I really don't have major concerns about this bullpen. Don't have concerns, obviously, about this lineup. Um, you know, I, and yeah, I think I agree with you. I think this is a good chance for Batantes to kind of reassert himself. And you know, there's a reason the Yankees haven't traded him, despite all these rumors and and stuff over the past year. He's the guy is. Is a terrific talent, and when he's on, he's, he's as unhittable as any reliever in baseball. The problem is the control, and and you know, and sometimes he loses focus. Um, but to me, it would be silly for some Yankee fans of the past and said, you know, we don't get rid of him, we don't want him. I mean, you don't give up on on guys still in the you know in the middle of their prime who have this kind of ability. Yeah, and look, if you can't go, and and Hamels is not an option, and. And certainly you don't want to just go out there to get a starter for the sake of getting a starter because they have guys that could get them through the season. Maybe you go and you try to see what elite relievers go on the market. Um, you know, I go back to the Mets. Jerry's familiar maybe. But, you know, again, I don't think those two teams would, would, would trade. And maybe you just really put the dominoes in, in, in place where there's no doubt, or I hate to use it bullpenning because everyone uses that term, but in a postseason series to say, you know what, if your name's not Tanaka – or or uh, Severino, you know what? If CC is going to give us three innings, we'll go to the bullpen in the fourth. Essentially, they did that last year, and Robertson became that multi-inning guy, and it worked. So it's a possibility they go that route as well. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy if, if the, that starter isn't out there. Um, but I mean, I don't even know if they need any more arms to to go that route. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always a possibility. I mean, I would think there are probably more. More big time arms out there than there will be big time starting, you know, big time relievers than there will be big time starting pitchers. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Zach Brazilil of the New York Post joining us here. Hey, Zach, um, Gleyber Torres. I know that everyone's probably given their two cents about him. He's off to a great start in the first twenty nine games of his big league, thirty games of his big league career. Uh, what are your thoughts up close watching him in the last uh, couple of nights? I mean, he's terrific. I mean, he had a. Should have hit a home run today. I mean, it was crazy wind. It knocked down a few balls. He had ball a few feet in front of the track and center. That would have been a home run on basically any other day. Um, I mean, he's he, he's remarkably polished. You know, he's really smart. He makes great adjustments. Um, you know, he's he's basically everything Mets fans kind of hoped Rosario would be. And I, I'm not as down on Rosario as maybe a lot of Mets fans are. I you know I think everyone is different, but I mean Torres is just you know I don't think you could have dreamed of a better start. Um, he's he's been terrific, you know, with the glove, with power, uh, with his steadiness. You know, he's he's been as good as uh, as good as can be. Yeah, and look, it takes a while. I mean, look at Didi Gregorius. It took him till the age yep. of twenty eight, and not that he's on the level of you know. I mean, again, Gleyber Torres has done it for five minutes, so let's not get crazy. But Gregorius has turned himself into a, a above league average hitter. He wasn't that the first three four years of his career. So it takes time. Not everybody's like Torres who sees the game right away and can make adjustments that really aren't 
uh, development things that you just are instinctual. So it's interesting to see that. Hey, what do you have coming up next? Uh, obviously, you're covering the Yankees. You know, you're 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 like the utility guy at the post. You're all over the place. So give us an idea um, of what, yeah, where I we mean, can uh, see you. I'm back, I'm back at the stadium on Wednesday. I'm sure I'll be doing some Mets games on the I'll do amount of Mets games on their next home stand. Um, you know, this Wednesday is a big day in college basketball. It's the uh, it's the final day for players to either stay in the draft or, um, or or go back to school. So so Wednesday is a big day to kind of shape. You know, rosters for for next year. There, are, you know, there are a lot of big name guys who still haven't really made made their decisions. And then I'll be doing a lot of NBA draft stuff over the next, uh, you know, three weeks or so. Um, doing a lot of baseball, and uh, for you, you know, I'm sure I'll be doing uh, once we get into July and August a lot of NFL training camp, which should be fun with these with the two big rookies. So yeah, it'll be, uh, you know, it's kind of a slow time. You know, few few baseball games a week. Uh, but now we're getting getting into the, getting closer to the draft. That'll heat up, and obviously the Knicks gotta gotta nail this pick. Um, Who would you so, pick yeah. if you were the Knicks? Who would you pick? You you watch a lot of Big East, Mikael Bridges. I take, I take the Villanova kid, Mikael Bridges. To me, I mean, you watch these NBA playoffs. You know, these teams have so many good players. I, I, the Knicks just need to stockpile as many good players as they can. Do not worry about the bank. Do not worry to try to to try to find the the next Donovan Mitchell or Steph Curry because. I'm sorry, the Knicks take one of these boomer bust guys. They're going to be a bust. You know, I, I go for Bridges. To me, where they're picking, he's the most safe bet to be a good NBA player. He's a good defender. You put him with with the point guard, you know, Minaquina, uh, and with Porzingis, you have the makings of a decent defensive team. And that, to me, is the first step in the Knicks getting back to being a quality team is being good defensively. You know, I I don't like the idea of taking another guard. Um, the other Bridges from Michigan State, I kind of have. Worries about how can he can he really defend wings at the NBA level? I think the Villanova kid. He, first of all, he's a great. He's a really mature, high character guy. He's a good defender. He can shoot. I to me, it's perfect. He'll probably be there. It's to me, it's that's got to be the move. In my opinion. is he going to be there at nine? I guess that's the big question, right? Yeah, I, I think he will be. I mean, from all from all indications, I mean, I think they'll have their choice of probably of the two bridges. Maybe Trey Young, who I and Sexton, will pro, you know, probably will be there. I mean, you know, there's some reports that think Trey Young might go eight. Some think he'll he'll go maybe ten or eleven. But I, I think both bridges will be there, and I think uh, Kyle Sexton will be there. I think those are the three guys who'll have their choice of it. You know, I I think they're going to take the Nova kid. I think this this new uh, hierarchy understands the importance of defense and character and bringing in winning players. Um, I, I think this is going to be the move they make, and I, I, I think it's the one they have to make. They, they can't mess this pickup. You know, when, when you're where you, where they are, they need to get as many good young players as fast as possible. And this is the guy to do it. He's, he's a smart, safe pick. You know, sometimes, sometimes the safest. You know, sometimes the pick that don't. It's not going to. It's not going to generate the most buzz, and people aren't going to be going nuts. And say, oh, we have the next, next Steph Curry and stuff like that. But you know what? That doesn't necessarily, you know, there's not going to be another Steph Curry. Everyone's life is already trying to find the next one. He's unique. There's not going to be another, there's probably not going to be another guy like him. So you take the guy that you were very confident is going to be a really good NBA player. And I'm, I think Bridges, most scouts are in agreement, is, is going to be a good NBA player. Well, Zach, generous at your time on a holiday weekend. Have a burger on me tomorrow. Hopefully it doesn't rain where you are, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. All righty. All right, buddy. Have a good night, eh? Zach Brazilder of the New York Post at 
NYPost underscore B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Great stuff. Hey, great show. we got to wrap up here. Hope, first of all, I want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. I keep telling everybody have a burger on me. That's kind of a little funny tagline. And hopefully the weather cooperates and you enjoy the rest of your weekend off. Get recharged because a lot of work ahead. A lot of work ahead for the New York Mets. A lot of work ahead for the New York Yankees and Knicks draft. Uh, and before you know it, it'll be NFL training camp. It's amazing how things fly. Hey, I want to thank Rich Catino. He'll be back, I think, next week. Check him out at Catino9 on Twitter. Check out Mike Vaccaro. I want to thank him at Mike Vac on Twitter and our buddy Zach Brazil of the New York Post at NYPost underscore Brazil. Take care, everybody. Happy Memorial Day. Mike Silva here. Be well.